Um, I don't, I want us to have a whole episode where you don't call me Adam Smith. Because <laughs> that bugs me when you do that. Why is that? Why does it bug me? Yeah. That's worth, I suppose that's worth wondering about. I'm not sure. I just don't feel like it's accurate. Who are you then? Which, I mean, if you were, if you were going to one of these tea party rallies and you didn't dress as Adam Smith, (laughs) who who would you, I I just figured I would dress, I would dress as the snake on the Gadsden flag because I think it'd be fun. All right. Have we started? Is this the show? I don't know. I don't know. As long as we're not testing anymore, that's what matters to me. <laughs> well, we got to we got to get the levels right. I understand that. I, we've had a, you know, I, I hate it when it doesn't sound good. And it's good that you care about that. Someone a someone needs to b. Um, it does make for a better listening experience for the uh, for what you would call your audience member. Yeah, no one wants to listen to a show where it sounds like someone's shouting into a telephone. No. So, hey, we've gotten some uh, great um, uh, reader mail type things. Not really? really reader mail, but well, you know. Are these I, things I don't know about? Well, it's, no, I, I did tell you the one, the friend of mine, a little shout out uh, to a Facebook friend and a friend from years ago, uh, Jennifer Owens, and uh, listening as a... No last names. Oh, no, we're not allowed to use last names? No, I guess we're allowed to do well, it. Well, I just we fabricated want. it. It's not like it was her real last name. And And actually, you shouldn't have even said that it was a friend. Why? Well, because it makes it seem like, you know, we've got a bigger audience. <laughs> it's not just friends. This is just a random person. <laughs> like, look, so g- I, I go sh- ahead. G- give me your feedback. I've got some feedback, too. I should have called her friend of the show. Well, yeah. Because you used so. that phrase repeatedly This last person, time. I did. I used it a lot because I, I want to have lots of friends of the show. And I think there are many friends of the show. I, I think so. your I think your desires have been answered. I think there are many friends of the show. And you, you I mean, you're the one me. who used I almost called the last episode uh, enemy of the show. Mm. But I ended up calling it Speed Trap because I thought that was that was more Speed Trap scripted. was pretty great. That was yeah. a pretty great uh, and it captured it. I thought it did. Yeah, in many so, ways, at many levels. So you've got uh, you've got a little bit of viewer mail, and uh, what is that? What do we? What, what's our viewer mail? No, I just told you. Okay, so she you, she really likes the show, and that's great. We okay. aim to please. We we sure do. And and this person has listened to more than one episode. I I'm sure that by now she has. Amazing. Okay, that's great. That's great. That's what we want. And and let me give you. I, I have I have uh, a directive to our listeners. Oh, but before that, I, I've got I got a few more shout outs. We got uh, listener um, David got in touch. Oh, uh, David said he's really loving the show. Hmm. Also, an Arsenal fan. Oh, nice. So um, that's nice for you. I couldn't care any less. But uh, but you like that because you're an Arsenal fan. Yeah, I feel sorry for you all of a sudden. Because I'm not one? Yeah. Well, you know, I, life has its compensations. I guess. I guess that's a pretty big pretty big miss. But anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, so that's that's David. All fantastic. Right. Fantastic guy. Uh, we got we got two more great guys who have gotten in touch. Oh, and, my gosh. And, and then I've got a list of three guys, by the way, this time. No, we've, uh, it just so happens. It just I so mean, happens. It's three guys. So right. when, I, when I say great guys, I usually use that gender neutral guys. That's what I usually say. Oh, okay. You know, um, I took you to be referring to males. Well, in this case, that's exactly right. And uh, the second is listener Hunt. Mm. Got a listener named uh, Hunt who who also uh, really digs the show. Mm. I wanted to use that word digs. Um, it's groovy. I don't know that I. Uh, I don't know that Hunt would use the word dig or groovy. He'll have to get back in touch and let me know. Yeah, if we he, are not constrained to use only the words we think Hunt would use, are we? Because I don't know him, and that's well, going to be hard. Well, but I'm kind of paraphrasing here because I don't uh, have you know, I, I don't have this. These are not full blown viewer 
uh, males. Got it. Right? These are just, I've gotten word in the context usually of something else that they've been listening, they love the show. Nice. And then also listener Matt. Big fan of the show. All good. Um, big fan of the show. And, and his uh, Matt in particular has kind of uh, posted about the show. Ooh. In his own, and that see that's my injunction. Spread the word. Yeah, spread the word. Uh, we want to grow. We don't want to grow by putting up billboards. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to advertise the show. Right. I, I I want this to be a a movement, an oral argument movement. Mm. Uh, word of mouth. So uh, listeners, consider yourselves foot soldiers in the effort to. Because we want this to be their show. Riffing on the film oeuvre of uh, Olivia Newton-John, oral argument is the word. It's the word that you've heard. Oh, so you boy. need to spread that. right? Not grease, but oral argument. I, I think you might have just killed it, Joe. Killed what? I, <laughs> I Maybe there's some, you know... I, I think if you're going to cite Olivia Newton-John, it should be physical. Or maybe Xanadu. Mm. Yeah, Xanadu. That was pretty amazing. It was at the time. That was that was huge. Now that movie um included I think a song from Electric Light Orchestra otherwise known as ELO, um A Party All Over the World. Oh, yeah, great one. Which is also a song that appears in one of my favorite movies ever, the movie Paul starring Simon Pegg and Seth Rogen as the roguish alien named Paul. And uh, I think Nick Frost is that the other uh, the act the other actor's name? No, that's that's the guy who interviewed Nixon that you're thinking of. <laughs> ah. uh, that song uh, plays at the end of the movie, Paul, uh, uh, and it is played to great effect, and and it is truly wonderful. So if you haven't seen the movie, Paul, um, so after would you, you, would you li- say would you say maybe the second best closing credit song ever? I might say that. I don't know what the best one is. So, Oh, that's obvious. I had a feeling you had an opinion about that. Well, I figured you knew. I, I don't know. Hmm. Why don't you share? Shutter Island. Ah. On the Nature of Daylight and This Bitter Earth. Mm. Mashed up. Right. Mashed up by Robbie Robertson in, the, in uh, two really great things that don't necessarily sound like they go together. Not as catchy as the ELO tune. Uh, I beg to differ. I think it may be the you, greatest. Uh, you can beg all you like, and yeah. I'm not diminishing its greatness. All I'm saying is the word catchy in particular. You need to listen a little better. So uh, the the word I used was catchy. And yeah. I've seen Shutter Island. So I know that that song isn't catchy. Oh, it's very. I couldn't stop listening to it. It caught. I, I heard it once during the closing credits. And I said that I've got to find. I've got to find that. I've got to listen to that more. Compelling. I, found it I would use the word compelling. I wouldn't use the word catchy. I find myself humming to it. Okay, it's, you can you you you've committed to this now. You're going to push it just as far as you can. <laughs> Truth be damned, facts be damned. No, I, I'm you 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 apparently have a different view. That's okay. We can agree to disagree. Yeah, I'm going to use the English words in the way most listeners will understand oh, them, and boy. you can use them however you like. Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall. Do you have any other feedback? Is there anything else that you want to go over here? Yeah, you didn't hear from anybody else. No, no, I think no other we're, emails. So we're done. So if people, the want the to, if people want to send viewer mail, oh, if they want to send viewer mail and they want uh, um, either just to get a shout out, we we love to do that. Oh, sure. But if they have something substantive to say, we'd love that too. You know, great show, positive or negative, crummy show, constructive criticism. Here's what I want you to talk about. Guest I think you got this wrong. Whatever. Right. Um, 
they email uh um uh, who who do they email i uh, think i think it's and i'm sort of doing this from memory so i might get it wrong you'll correct i me. think b gates at microsoft.com <laughs> is that right <laughs> Uh, it is oral argument podcast at gmail.com. I believe that's right. Oral argument podcast at gmail.com. At gmail.com. And uh, now, of course, you've got to get the underscores and the asterisks and all that right in there, right? And what? There, there are all kinds of upper and lowercase letters. So we'll have to go through this character by character, right, Joe? <laughs> or, is it, or is it simpler than that? I think it is. I think it's simply oral argument podcast at gmail.com. You mean all one word, all, all lowercase, no, no complications? No caps. Boy, it couldn't be easier. All right, so leave us some feedback there. Here, so, so here are the instructions to the listeners, and then we're going to get on with the show. Share how much you loved watching the movie today. Paul. Big show today. So we're, we're going to get on with it, but but here's 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 what we ask. Here's, okay. here's, this is all we ask. Just one thing. If you have some feedback, send it into that email. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy the show, tell somebody else you enjoy the show. Get right. them to watch. Let's, let's grow the audience here. Pay it forward. Now, we don't want a huge audience, but we want a committed audience. We want a relationship with our listeners. Right, Joe? Absolutely. Not in a creepy way. Yeah, just, we're not asking where they live. No, we're just saying let's. No, you know. yeah, let's. But so we want we want a uh, we want for some people a small group of people maybe for this to be a show that they love. Yes, even if it's a show that most people don't like. That's cool, right? Yeah. So tell some other people you think might love the show. Tell them about that. The other thing they can do: just search for or- oral argument in iTunes. Rate the show. You don't have to leave a review. Just right. hit the stars. So you can hit a star and rate something without leaving a review? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. you can just hit five stars if you want. No, I, I give or, five as an example. Yeah, it's, you could, it could be four. It could be one. I mean, it really should you be five, are who you are. I think, think it really, what you think. Yeah, but I would think it really should be five. Uh, if it's not five, <laughs> why don't you send us an email first? Yeah, yeah. Let, us, let us know why it's not five. Yeah, exactly. And we'll try to improve. Or we will castigate you on the air for having such a absurd opinion yeah, but one way or the other we'll deal with it or direct you to a show that may be more to your liking indeed okay what's our topic well i thought we'd start with some follow-up okay it's not preliminary but i i think and i haven't we haven't discussed this right we no i don't well i don't know yet i yeah. mean maybe we have maybe we have um it w- see but you don't know is the point we haven't like discussed what we're going to talk about correct so we they're hearing not- this this is just raw oral yeah, argument. this is not planned um i think and this is like uh, strategizing in a way about about what the show should be. Oh my gosh! All right, so this is. I think one of the we should return to the idea of speed traps. Now, n- not for the whole show. I just want to do a little follow up on speed traps. Okay. Um. And, and I think that um, in general, and we're going to talk about lots of stuff on this show. You know, lots of legal issues that will come up, and and academic issues, other things, right? And lots of topics we're going to talk about. Okay. But I want people if they're thinking. I wonder what the latest, what's the state of the art on speed trap law? Mm. I want people to think first oral argument. Wow. Let me go there first. Okay. Right. And then, um, so I thought we'd start there again. I listened to the show. Did you, do you, do you listen to the show? Are you not familiar with it or do you, <laughs> do you listen? I have listened in the past. I don't, I don't know that I listened to the entirety of that episode. Mm-hmm. As you may recall, I was in an undisclosed location. I was traveling. It was Santa Clara, California. Things were happening. Right. Um, well, I, I thought we, so I, I did a little bit of research Ooh. after that, actually just about half an hour ago for about 15 minutes, but <laughs> I did, uh, a little, re- I, I have a little bit of follow up okay. on that. Uh, first thing is that, um, as I listened to it, I realized that we never quite talked about 
what the real doctrinal basis for the speed trap stuff should be. Which speed let, trap? Well, stuff? Let, me, let, me, let me go. So there may be some listeners who haven't listened to the last episode. Because there I would were a suggest, lot of issues happening with that set of facts. Yeah, and I, I would suggest going back and listening to the last episode. That's my suggestion. But we're going to catch them up. You don't have but not each now. episode is self-contained, right? Right. Um, so here's the here's the idea. You got someone who's traveling along, along a road. They observe a police officer with a radar gun at a uh, what you might call a speed trap. And having seen that, you continue on your way, but then flash your lights to warn other drivers of the existence of the speed trap. See, I would just I need you to stop you right there because you're already I think you're already um, making. You're already behaving in a problematic fashion that repeats last time. So yeah. we can do this at, a, at two different levels. You just described the intentions that you're ascribing to the person. You, that You didn't just describe the behaviors. And there's more than one th- uh, intention or motivation that you could ascribe to the actor there. So I think what you would say is you see the person drive by the police car. And then later you see them flash their lights. Yeah. And uh, they could be doing that for any number of reasons, one of which is people coming in that other direction could uh take that to mean, hey, hey, there's a speed trap ahead. Yeah. So I, I we're going to uh, just to simplify a little bit. We're going to we're going to assume that there are two possible motivations here. Uh one is to uh warn people of the existence of the speed trap to prevent them from committing a, a crime, speeding in the first instance. The other is to warn people who are committing a crime uh, of the existence of police. Now, that, and we're going to ignore the fact that you could be trying to get the person ahead of you to go faster. You could be trying to warn somebody of some other hazard in the road. Right. The only cases that I'm actually worried about are ones in which uh, the evidence excludes that possibility, okay. basically. Cool. So, you know, in other words, there's a radar installation, police operation, you pass it. And then very quickly, you kind of flash your lights at others. And so, although all those other things are possibil- are possibilities, uh, a fair analysis of the evidence excludes the possibilities. Fair enough. Um, so let's let's assume that. Right. Um, and as we discussed last time, there's a the, the issue that was raised in this case was a First Amendment issue, mm. free speech issue. Yeah. Do you have a First Amendment right to warn others? And we had a discussion about that last time. And I just want to uh, – I thought it would be nice to just drop in here – what an actual First Amendment opinion that hewed closely to the doctrine would do. And I'm not saying that you should do this. You may go outside of the doctrine to deal with this case. But if we were just to use existing doctrine, uh, and I'm not a First Amendment lawyer. Nor am I. I don't teach it. Nor do um, I. But this is a pretty classic instance of uh, of, um, an example of someone doing something, some act, that they claim uh, is speech, wanting protection, and the government comes back saying uh, that we're not punishing you because of your speech, but because of your conduct, basically, right? Your conduct has some problematic element to it. And the the case that uh, raises this is uh, the classic case that raises this, the O'Brien case. This, this is the burning, burning the draft card, right? right? And there, the, the, uh, the government was saying that we are not trying to stifle any speech, like objection to the war in Vietnam, right? Or objection to the notion of conscription, right? This is uh, uh, all about preserving draft cards. This important governmental function. It's right. unrelated to what you're saying, and so the court had to decide what to do with apparently content neutral regulations, which had an effect on speech, um, some bad effect on speech. And 
the way that the court dealt with this is how the court, you know, normally handles problems where it doesn't know how much it should get involved in in the decision, mm. which is to decide on what's called a level of scrutiny, mm. right? And so for most kinds of regulations, say unrelated to speech, just any, you just raise a general objection, uh, which may come under the head of due process or something like that. For most such things, for most such regulations, the court gives very, very little scrutiny, such little scrutiny that may not really be reviewing the law at all, right? Yeah, very light touch. Yeah, very light touch. Because otherwise, if the court reviewed everything and took it seriously, it would essentially be replacing the legislature. Right. Not so great, right? Indeed. But there are other times when we're worried, right, that what the uh, legislature has done treads too closely onto important rights uh, or transgresses other boundaries that we think maybe the legislature shouldn't be doing and maybe courts are equipped to deal with. I don't know if I said that very well. Mm. Uh, but you might have certain theories, and I don't know, maybe we'll get into this another time, about how courts are better at certain things than legislatures are. Uh, maybe protecting minority rights is one. There's a lot of interesting scholarship about what courts are good at, what they're not good at. Right. Um, and so anyway, uh, the First Amendment... Uh, but one thing you can say, just let me, let yeah, me interject to say, one thing you can say for sure... Uh, is that courts perceive themselves to have varying degrees of capacity. So there might be disagreements in the literature about what courts are better at or worse at, but there's no doubt at all, if you just watch courts do what they do and explain their actions, there's no doubt they themselves think they have varying degrees of capacity. That That's there right. Are some things they're good at ferreting out and some things they're not good at ferreting out. Right. Because they say that. Right. And it, it, we may get to this, because this is another topic I wanted to talk about today, about um about ways of thinking about law that differ from the way that maybe lay people approach it when they think of law on a case-by-case basis. So we mm -hmm. may return to this idea that you just mentioned. Okay. But let me – so generally when the government targets speech, the court uses what's called strict scrutiny, right? When government targets speech because of that speech, because of its content, as they say, content-based regulations of speech, uh, oftentimes the court will use, again, what I call what's called strict scrutiny, which is uh, – a way of reviewing the law that is very, very um, intrusive, right, in a way. It intrudes into the legislative process because we are going to demand that there be a compelling governmental interest that is served and that the means, the law, which is a means to that compelling purpose, is narrowly tailored to achieving that purpose. So no broader than it needs to be uh, uh, and also not, um, uh, uh, is the word underbroad a word? <laughs> but but it has to be it has to hit the bullseye right right so okay and, and no no less in, no less uh restrictive way to accomplish the same crucially important government objective yeah no more restrictive than necessary no less restrictive and the reason is because we're really suspicious when you hit these certain and so racial discrimination is one example if a law affects some kind of racial discrimination it's not constitutionally invalid per se um uh, but it's hard to imagine a law where the racial discrimination was a means towards a compelling governmental purpose and where that racial discrimination exactly hits the bullseye of achieving that purpose. Mm -hmm. okay, so that's, this is just the way, this is the bit of, um, uh, I like to think of it, it's kind of legal technology, right? The court developed a bit of a technology right. in these levels of scrutiny. It's the yep. way it processes through these cases. Yep. And in free speech cases, when the government targets speech, strict scrutiny is almost always the rule, unless it's targeting, unless what it's doing is regulating in a way that people say has an effect on speech. And then we have to look and see whether that regulation, which has an effect, has an effect because of the content of that speech or for some other reason. And so I'm not going to, you could do a whole course, and indeed there are whole, whole courses in First Amendment law, and it is Absolutely. notoriously 
um, kind of detailed doctrinally with these levels of scrutiny right. varying for different reasons. Um, you have to look at, there are certain categories of speech regulations which don't get to strict scrutiny just as a matter of content, like fighting words and there are other kinds of exceptions. Um, but one thing that a, uh, that a regulation might do is say something like, you know, no, uh, no, uh, um, loud concerts after seven o'clock in a certain park. Right. And that's not really, it's not focused on any particular viewpoint or even any particular content, but it's a regulation of the time, place and manner of speech. And for reasons that seem quite um, uh, readily understood as as sensible and not a subterfuge to target content. So if you're talking about volume and you're talking about something at night and it's in a park that's in a residential area, you could understand why uh, sort of everyone in town, no matter what they wanted to say and no matter whether they wanted to use the park or not, they could all understand. That's a, that's a, seems like a sensible regulation. And that's what you just said is pretty much exactly what courts do when faced with a regulation which seems like a bona fide time, place, and manner restriction. They just ask whether it's reasonable. And that reasonableness analysis is a little bit more demanding than the normal rational basis review that courts give to just general laws that yes, regulate the not, economy. It's not the lightest touch, but it's not a whole lot harder than the Not a whole touch. lot harder, right. And um, in other cases where there is some conduct that the government is regulating, and the person comes in who's being regulated and says that this is uh, uh, violating my – this conduct is speech, essentially, and it is violating my rights of free speech. That's where this O'Brien case comes in. The draft card case. The draft card case. And there the court had to deal with this problem of, like, content-neutral laws, uh, you know, that don't seem to focus on any particular content and yet are re- uh, might be interfering with free expression. And so here's how they resolve to do it. They give oh, what's cool. called intermediate scrutiny. Okay. Intermediate scrutiny. Something in between total hands-off and even, I think, reasonableness review under time, place, manner. And the strict scrutiny, which will almost always kill a law off. Right? So they do something in between. And they ask whether this really is a content-neutral regulation of content. And so long as you satisfy all that, you know, that it's there's some important interest, that you're not being overly restrictive in hitting it, and that the law is not distinguishing among speech based on its content, then it's basically going to be okay. All right, so I'm not going to go through the whole the whole test, but that those are the basic prongs of it. And if you want to think about it, it's in a, in a three bears kind of way, right? A law that targets speech because of its viewpoint or content is going to get, you know, the toughest scrutiny. A law that doesn't regulate speech at all or affect free expression, which maybe only affects like economic transactions, almost no scrutiny, almost none. These laws, which kind of hit, may hit speech, and we got to kind of look, if it impacts someone's speech, we're going to look a little more closely to figure out, like, what is the government's purpose here? What's it doing? Is it regulating content? Is it not? You know, so anyway, I go through all this to say that I think in this case, the right way of looking at it would be to apply an O'Brien test, because what we're looking at is flashing of lights. Yes. Last time we kind of skipped over this and said it's clearly communicative, which is right. Yeah, it is. Um, what is the law that the government is enforcing when it tries to stop someone from doing that? And uh, you might, and last time we discussed a couple, right? There's this obstruction of justice rationale where yeah. you're interfering with a police officer's ability to detect and prevent crimes. Right. And there may be this flashing light law about how the only 
vehicles that can flash lights in a yeah, certain you, way. You right? kind of gave me the stink eye on that one. But. Yeah, because I don't, I, I don't think that law applied in that particular case. And, uh, and most jurisdictions will, will allow people to flash lights to signal kind of emergency and bad conditions to others. Mm. So the most common ground, I actually looked up a few cases on this. Oh, neat. We'll roll out more. We'll roll out more of these, maybe in future episodes. We'll ask our guests what they think about this whole speed trap. But most of them go on kind of obstruction of justice grounds. And really? And they look at the elements of that and, and ask. And they make the very distinction. Uh, Hold on. That the, 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 so the accusation is the driver who flashes his or her headlights is engaged in obstruction of justice? Exactly. That's just not an offense, I think. Or been- interfering. I mean, they call different things. Interfering with a police officer in the performance of his or her duties. Mm. Right? Um, mm. I mean, I think of obstruction of justice as something more like, you know, destroying critical documents or tampering with a witness or... I mean, that's such a serious... That's just that name, obstruction of justice. It sounds yeah, like a very serious offense. think about that conversation we had last time about the guy in the liquor store. Yeah, no, that was... Who, yeah. who warns the, assa- the assailant who's getting ready, right? I mean, these right. are... So these are all. You keep saying warning. <laughs> right. I'm there's a gonna, warning. I'm not going to rehearse. All I'm saying is there's a warning of the existence of police officers. Right, which could be a great way to get someone to rethink whether they really want to commit that crime and get them to not do it, and that's a good thing. And and that's exactly the distinction some of these cases make. And so you find these cases from the early 1900s. Really, early 1900s. Let me ooh, see if ooh. let me let me see if I can find one. Let me see if I can find one here. Okay, Joe. So check this out. Cool. We have to go across the pond to England. Oh, that is so to good. Find. And th- th- these are the cases that these uh, that these old. more recent decisions will cite. Oh, there's the case of Bastable. You know, you've been to England. <laughs> yes. How, how do they pronounce this? Is B A S T A B L E versus Little Bastable against Little? Yeah, mm. King's Bench decision. Mm. Um, and let me just. This is how a a, a a Maryland court of appeals summarizes this case: two constables, two constables. Because that's what they call police officers over there, right, Joe? Indeed. Uh, Had marked a certain section of road and stationed themselves in order to time passing cars to detect speeders. Oh, my God. It's a speed trap. It's a speed trap case. Jolly old England style. Guess the date. I don't know, governor. (laughs) Do you know what the date is? I have no idea. 1907. Whoa. This is the 19—so this speed trap law in which we now specialize. Ugh. Um, is this is a hundred? This is a jurisprudence that's over a hundred years old, Joe. Wow! All right, so they did that. The defendant warned approaching motorists both orally and by signs of the trap. Nice. All three justices of the King's Bench Division concluded that no crime had been committed. See, two of them rested their decision on the lack of evidence that any of the motorists warned had in fact been speeding and thus on the premise that the warning had not prevented the officers from detecting any crime. Okay? That's how I would decide it, I think. Now three, that I know some English... Three years just, later. <laughs> three years later. Yes. Okay, in, in the case of... And I think I pronounced it... This is totally what I said last week, by the way. I, I, I hear. In, in the case of Betts versus Stevens. Mm. King's Bench. We're back again. Speed trap law. This is... It's, it's fast and furious in the early days. That's all they do. Okay, this involved warnings given to motorists approaching a speed trap. The evidence indicated that some of the motorists were indeed speeding as they approached the trap, and that the warning caused them to slow down and thus avoid detection and proof of their unlawful conduct. Mm. Now, to be not, to give credit here, I'm actually reading uh, from the case of DePino versus Davis, a Maryland Court of Appeals case. Mm, okay. so this is this is I'm reading, I'm quoting them, uh, although okay. I didn't say quote. Now, Maryland is part of the United States. 
I, the last time I checked. Yeah. So you're now we're now talking about U.S. cases, right? But oh. but I'm I'm reading their summary of the Betts versus Stevens Got case. It. Just to be clear, um, uh, because I couldn't find a, a copy of this uh, quickly. Um, that was oh, Darcy. Little Darcy. Thank you. Justices Alverstone and Darling, great English names, don't you think? Totally. Um, Distinguish that situation from the one in Bastable and affirmed a conviction for hindering. Justice. But they affirmed the conviction. Yes. Okay. So in this case, they went the other way. For hindering the police. For hindering the police, right? Nothing that I now say, and this is this is the quote of the original English case from mm. the, uh, the, this is the, uh, the Betts versus Stevens case. Got Nothing it. that I now say must be construed to mean that the mere giving of a warning to a passing car that the driver must look out as there is a police trap ahead will amount to an obstruction of the police in the execution of their duty in the absence of evidence that the car was going at an illegal speed at the time the warning was given. But where it is found, as in this case, that the cars were already breaking the law at the time of the warning, and that the act of the person giving the warning prevented the police from getting the only evidence which would be required for the purposes of the case, there I think the warning does amount to obstruction. So that is the distinction they seem to be making. Are you, and it is it's what we talked about with the liquor store last week, are you preventing crimes from occurring by, by giving a reason, like as we said last time, right? The presence of police is, is a reason not to commit crimes. Right? Or, alternatively, or, yeah. are you preventing the detection of a crime already in progress? Right. So this is a possible distinction the law can make. And it can say you have a freedom or privilege to warn others not to commit crimes. Because in, after in all fact, that, there's a gr- it's great if you do, because that's the less crime purpose. there is, the exactly. better. Right. Uh, and at the same time, say that uh, you are approaching obstruction or prevention of duty or... Last time, I think I even used the word like accessory, even if you don't know them. But somehow you are compounding the criminality of the, mm. of the situation mm. by warning people of the presence of police who right. are already committing crimes because we want those people to be punished and detected. And then, in fact, the, one of the reasons that we have such a problem with these speed trap cases is because most of us think there's something wrong with speed traps. Even if we support them, right? There's something in the back of our head saying, yeah, you know, do we really want the cops doing this? I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we do, right? We're of two I minds mean, about it, right? Yeah, generally speaking, that's right. Uh, yes. And, and I should say, there are other cases, and we'll get into this another time, because I know people are going to say, give us more speed trap stuff. <laughs> I, I know that's coming, right? So yeah. I'm just going to give you a little taste. There are the, other the cases. The Gmail inbox is going to be flooded with a yeah, speed that, trap. That requests. thing's not infinite. I think it's only a few gigabytes. I think we need to get in touch with Google. Yeah. So anyway... Um, there are other courts which don't make that distinction, which say that to uh, even to give a warning is to hinder the police in their efforts to detect. So there, there's an example of, of undercover police where a person comes out and says, hey, don't deal with them. They're undercover, breaking up drug transactions. There's one case involving a prostitute who was about to close a transaction with a police officer when someone else came in and said, "That's a, it's a cop. And there's another uh, case uh, of... Don't uh, those all fall within the, the the rationale of the crime is already in progress? Uh, so when you when you name the undercover officer as an undercover officer, you're... No. They, don't, they don't all go on those grounds. There's another one where the cops were going to uh, a skid row type area and trying to uh, arrest beggars. Mm. And someone went ahead of them saying, these are cops. Mm. And the court said, what was going on there was the person wasn't actually preventing a crime. They weren't preventing crimes. They were just delaying crimes. Mm. That doesn't seem right. Well, 
I mean, there there is that element to the speed trap thing, right? So if I'm flashing my lights at someone, do I really think I'm remind? I'm giving them a reason not to speed. So even if they aren't speeding, I'm giving them a reason not to speed in the first instance. But do I really think that I'm encouraging them not to speed in general? Here's what's insidious about uh, in the case of uh, the police heading to the the quote Skid Row area is that it um, it sort of treats folk as, as uh, by default, you're a criminal. And so someone who suggests to you that police are about to be in the, the area, um, you know, that, that, that notion of delaying crime, it's like basically you're saying there are some people who just their status is as criminal, as crime doers. That's but of who course they they're are. not. Of course, that's not right. They're not criminals until they actually solicit. Precisely, which is why I think it's awful I use the word insidious. It is that is that is terrible reasoning in terms of what it says about the the tribunal's assumption about people's sort of default state as as criminals. That's wrong. Yeah, I actually have a. It's very troubling. Actually. I have a problem in those cases that I may not have in the speed trap cases. Right? I mean, legally. Now, morally, I say warn warn people. Right? Let them know there's a speed trap there. Um. Unless the person is, uh, uh, I'm not going to get into it. Okay, so uh, um, <laughs> let's let's let the listeners feedback and let us uh, tell tell us what they what they think about speed traps. But right. um, I actually do think that flashing lights to warn of a speed trap, in fact, delays speeding rather than uh, rather than it gives people reasons not to speed in general. Right? It seems to me closer to telling the person in the liquor store who has the gun out or is about to get the gun out is about to, you know, put the liquor into uh, his or her um, uh, uh, coat, right? Uh, it, it's more like that. Uh, it's more like telling them, hey, not now, maybe later, maybe knock over the liquor store later, right? It, it, I just don't think, you know, in this, well, go ahead. You're, you're, you're balking. I'm not balking. I just, I mean, I understand the, I understand why you, you think that. And, and maybe even I might think it too. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm thinking it right now. I don't, it, to me, it doesn't seem, I mean, look, it's, cause look, so much of, so much of this stuff is about attention, right? So you might be, um, so let's say the speed of your car, right? So there's the letter of the law. 65 miles per hour, let's say it says in that area. Then there's everyone knows that means about 70, right? Right. In terms of what you might, the rate you might travel at without um, uh, drawing a, a citation. The from, law in the books the is 65. The law in action is 72. Say. Right. Mm-hmm. Thereabouts, right? And so it, that that un, that itself is enough play in the joints where it might simply be you've sort of You've lost track. You're listening to a song. You're looking out ahead. You see that other car. It reminds you of something. And there's so a moment may go by when you now you're at 75. You didn't realize it. Maybe the flashing lights. You looked. Oh my gosh, 75. I didn't realize it was going that fast. I just feel like there's so the the true the true wealth and complexity and and richness of p- people's actual behaviors is getting reduced to such a caricature. By this assumption that we're that may be made about, well, if you're flashing lights or whatever, they definitely want to be speeding. Well, you don't know that. Yeah. And it's better not to I, proceed on the assumption that we're all criminals until proven otherwise. That sounds odious to me. See, now let me just say this: 
on the last episode, you admitted that you don't generally possess the decency to flash your lights and warn people of speed traps. <laughs> I, I do. That is However, not at all how, what I said. Well, I think, oh my gosh. That's a rough, I think that's roughly what you said. Oh, um, but terrible. But, uh, I also think that you're wrong. I think we are all criminals. <laughs> so let, let's, I'll tell you what, let's leave it there. Let's leave this. Oh my God. Let's leave this. Uh, and, and I want to know from the listeners, and we'll ask our guests. We're going to have guests on. We're going to go back to the guests. We're going to have some great topics. Can I? Agree? But we're not going to leave this one. We're not going to leave this one alone. No, we're on this one, Joe. We're on it. <laughs> can I? Can I? Can I signal my agreement with one idea that um, yeah. we're all criminals in the sense that um, the the mesh of criminal statutes, both local, state, and federal, is sufficiently thick that that's. Uh, I'm I'm actually quite sure you're right. Uh, no, I, I mean, in this case, though, I mean, in this case, when you flash your, your lights, I do think that, that uh, there's an understanding that you're not trying to encourage people to obey the law, but trying to help them not get caught uh, doing something that you fully realize they will generally do thereafter. Um, but it's but, not against the law if it's the if they're not going like 85. Right. And if all you're calling to attention to is people like, look, just like look at your look at your speedometer, see what speed you're going. I think we got to leave it there. Aye. I think we got to leave it there. You okay. signaled what you wanted to signal. Um, would that you would signal to others uh, of the existence of speed traps. <laughs> but, uh, I got something else I want to talk about. Do you do you have anything else you want to talk about though? No, no. Um, very annoyed. I thought I would share. Oh. Sharing is fun. Uh, a little thing I, I, I um about law that I share with my first year students. Cool. Are you implying you want- that I'm like one of your first year students? No, I, 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 not everybody does it this way, and I think it may be a helpful model for lay people and even practicing lawyers to be kind of maybe more mindful of uh, what it is that we are doing in a law, right? I mean, um, what uh, the the task of the lawyer really is. I look forward to the parry and thrust of your idea for one else. Proceed. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, here goes. Object. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> well, go ahead. Do you want to hear it or not? I Joe? do. I do, do want to hear it. Yeah, I, I detect a little hesitancy, though. I can't skewer it if I don't hear it. Well, you know how most, and I've told this to every class. I think I've shared this with every class that I've done that a lot of people who, a lot of lay people think, I think maybe, maybe they don't, maybe I'm wrong about this. Listeners who are lay, you tell us, um, that the skill of a lawyer isn't kind of knowing what the list of the laws is, or at least if you don't know what a particular law is, like where to look it up. You're saying this is what other people, I think a lot of people think this. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, as a kid, I certainly didn't know what lawyers did other than stuff I saw on TV. Right. Indeed. Divorce, drunk driving, and murder trials. You know that. Uh, and the lawyers were the people who seemed to know what the laws were. Right? But of course, we know that's not really what lawyers do. I mean, you do develop expertise in areas where you begin to be familiar with the kinds of laws that govern that area and in detail sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's not the task of the lawyer to master some list of laws. Except on the bar exam. And it's then, not the central task. No. no and if certainly. it were the only thing you accomplished, you actually would have accomplished very little. Exactly. We'd get computers to do it. Right. If there were a list that needed to be mastered, we could have all this done by computers. Um, whether we can do this other thing by computers, I think, is increasingly an interesting question. But Indeed. Uh, so here's how I think about it. 
their levels, Joe. Their experience points and levels. Sound like anything you know? It's like Super Mario Brothers. Oh, no. D&D, man. Oh, D&D. Okay. So you don't, there aren't experience points. They're just points in Mario. It's a, it's a quibble. Okay. Um, I didn't. I have never played either. So this is my Dungeons and Dragons theory. Cool. I just made that up. But here's the thing. So you, um, uh, a lot of people will have an opinion about a case. Like the, take the McDonald's hot coffee case or the speed trap case. Take either one of those. Okay. And you go ask people, how should this case come out? Level one, level one is just having an answer for that. I think this case should come out this way for a particular reason. I think the hot coffee, this is the woman who spilled her, uh, very hot coffee in her lap at a McDonald's drive through sued, uh, was ridiculed in uh you know late night talk shows by cable news all over the place people and it became kind of a poster child among a certain group for the insanity of of tort law Mm -hmm. Uh, a deeper probing of it shows that she was really injured very badly very badly badly, and the coffee was very very hot and maybe we'll have a whole show about that about that case with someone who's uh, an expert in tort law or something like that You, you 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 made an expression Whole show? I don't think it. I don't. I don't know. That okay. It, okay. Fair enough. About maybe, that case. Fair, maybe two. Maybe two shows. Um, <laughs> we, we'll do. Maybe we'll do. You know, split it up. Maybe three volumes. I don't know how many it'll take. Wow. Well, this is the thing about the show, Joe. It could. We don't shortchange anything. We give everything as much time as it needs. Because we can. Why impose a false scarcity when there isn't one? Exactly. Exactly. So maybe four shows for that. But um, so you think of, and you may have opinions like she should recover because. It was so hot, and McDonald's should have known that it doesn't even never needs to be that hot. They easily and the person getting the coffee from the window doesn't know how hot it is until they get it. Or you may take the position that people should know how hot coffee is, or that it is hot, and that no matter how hot it is, if it spills in your lap, it's going to cause a burn, and the severity of that burn. You can have all kinds of reasons for this. Or in the speed trap case, right? Uh, that we actually want to catch speeders and the person is interfering with that. And, and in fact, you're creating more net speeding because speed traps are less effective. Mm. Or you could take the view that uh, warning people of speeding actually reduces, you know, you can have an empirical disagreement about the degree of speed. You got all these different arguments, right? And level one legal reasoning is just being able to have an opinion and to articulate it about the outcome of a case. Are you with me? So far. Okay. First thing we got to do, we got to read some of these cases. We got to start thinking about why the cases come out they do and maybe impose some consistency. Like if you think the the reason the hot coffee case should come out in a particular way is, oh, I don't know, uh, the, the asymmetry of knowledge between the two parties, you know, it, then that reason in another similarly situated case should also apply, right? You read enough of these cases and we're going to level up. going to get some experience. We get enough experience points. We level up. What does that mean? Level well, up? when we level up at level two, level two, what does is, leveling up mean? is thinking about the different reasons that cases should come out like they do, right? So this is about gaining more experience as a law student or a person who's interested in law is appreciating that it's not enough to have opinions about how discrete cases come out. But now we're going to think at a higher level. We're going to think at, of the, at the level of reasons that apply across cases. And we're going to start thinking about what those reasons are. And so we might survey through, like, asymmetry of knowledge, right? Asymmetry of information may be a reason that certain cases should come out in a particular way. Uh, Efficiency. I go through these in my legislation regulation class. I kind of go through a a list of reasons, which are pretty common, typical reasons. Unequal bargaining power, 
uh, tragedy of the commons, um, uh, um, various moral reasons. I go through a bunch of these things. So you build uh, up a, a sort of, you get a grab bag of reasons. A grab bag of reasons, and you start to think about how those reasons should apply, right, across cases. Yeah. And you develop a sense of consistency, like which reasons count, which reasons are good reasons, which reasons are not such good reasons, how they apply, treating like cases alike. So that is a fuller picture of the law that develops after you've gained enough experience and you kind of level up in your sophistication about law. It's not suddenly you're able to criticize someone's view of a particular case because of what you know about all the other cases and how the reasons apply in those cases. Mm. So the level two is really understanding that law law is a calculus of reasons, right? Not just as having opinions about particular cases, but we're not done. We're not done. I suspected that was true. People who want more Joe are, they're already fast forwarding through this part. They're crying out in pain is what they're doing. So feel free to interrupt me, Joe. I think that will only make this take longer. <laughs> uh, that's a good reason to get a podcast client with like a 2X or 4X setting <laughs> up. Uh, is there a level three, Christian? There is a level three, Joe. Oh, lay it on me, brother. All right. And this is where the... this is where, So as a law student, you get to level two pretty quickly. Right. You you're just you get there almost immediately. But I feel I have I have the sense we're not yet cooking with gas, as the no. expression goes. No, because the sophistication and thinking about law ramps up dramatically when you realize that the question is not just understanding the reasons for case outcomes, but understanding that a very important consideration is which kind of institution should deploy those reasons. Mm. Okay, so. Should, and at a very basic level, you learn this very early on in, in law school and I'd say torts, when you're thinking of, should this be a question for the judge to decide on his or her own, or is this a question that should go to the jury? Those are two very different institutions. Jury of your peers has they one are. set of things, and judge has a different set of institutional competencies, right. and so we have to decide who should decide this thing, right? And we already actually talked about an institutional competency issue at the beginning of the session when we were talking about um, courts reviewing the handiwork of legislatures. Exactly. So this happens basically all the time. And that is and that is a central consideration that also most laws, I, I, goodness gracious, I hope all law students see in the first year, is a, is a, is a really, uh, are cases that really tee up this issue of courts deciding particular issues and having to wrestle with whether they should have a cut on it or whether, uh, or, or, or how severe a cut or whether this should be left for legislatures. Right. Uh, yeah, one deciding of the case, whether to decide. The not case I always decide. use for this to emphasize it most is INS versus AP, mm. which I'll drop in the show notes, and in particular the Brandeis dissent, the Oof. very end. It's kind of a long case, but that that is a case that really crystallizes this idea for me, of uh, or maybe that first crystallized this idea that there are certain thing courts, certain things courts are good at, certain things legislatures are good at, and that courts have to decide when disputes come up how to rule. In part, not just based on the reasons, right? Not just based right. on thinking about reasons cases should come out the particular way, but in thinking about which institution is best positioned to deploy those reasons and to under, and, and to reach a, a good. We're not done though, but go ahead. No, but the necessity of this of this of the of separating those two ideas is because, of course, if all you're thinking about is the reasons why a, a dispute should be resolved in one way versus the other way, that could equally be a reason that a legislator is thinking about when he or she is deciding whether to vote yay or nay on a particular new legal rule that hasn't been applied yet, but is thinking, well, in the future, as cases come up, I would like them to be decided this way rather than that way. So that I that question, hey, what is the what is a good way to think about how this should turn out is something that different institutional actors could be thinking about 
the executive could be thinking, the legislature, the courts. So they, if you're right, if, if that's the only question you ask, you haven't yet gotten to, well, okay, why is it that I'm the one doing that right now? Ah, instead of one of the other institutional actors doing it, or how do our institutional actions combine? Joe, you are a Zen master because you're, you're jumping to level four. Level three is just having an opinion about which institution, right? And you'll see this. So people will say, you know, I don't think the court should decide this question. That's policy. The, the legislature should decide that, right? This should be, you know, this is courts legislating from the bench. They should be doing this and not that, mm. which is kind of an unreflective in a way opinion, right? Just an opi- raw opinion right. about what institution should deploy the reasons which might lead one to come to outcomes in particular cases. Yep. Level four, we're going to level up now, though. Whoa. Let's think about the calculus of reasons for picking a particular institution to deploy reasons to decide particular cases. Mm. Right? Uh, So, and in fact, doing this helps you to understand much more clearly debates about statutory and constitutional interpretation, uh, um, uh, debates about courts versus legislatures and other levels of scrutiny, the kind of stuff we talked about earlier. If you understand that when, say, when Scalia and Breyer disagree about how to interpret a particular statute or about the method for constitutional interpretation. What they're really disagreeing about, I think, and I will support this, maybe on another show, because we're running long. Um, what they're really disagreeing about are the proper reasons for assigning primacy to particular institutions at particular times over the resolution of political questions. And the only way in which I would differ with you is I would say that, I would say instead of saying what they're really disagreeing about, I would say part of what they're disagreeing about is that. I would say all. Because like, <laughs> maybe at the level of the Supreme Court, that's right. I mean, maybe yeah. uh, at, when you're talking about a dispute at, the, at that in that particular tribunal, uh, that, that it's been boiled down to that essence. Uh, that that could very well be the case. You're right. I mean, even when they agree that we have, say, reasonableness review over this question, but not total policymaking authority, there might be a disagreement about what reasonableness is. So we've resolved the level four dispute, the level three dispute. We know what we're deciding. And then the applications of reasons to come out a particular way, we may have some disagreement about that, like what reasonableness should mean here, how that should be filled in. That's a level two argument. Yeah. And the fact that uh, so that that kind of disagreement is reflected in the fact that you have, for example, uh, uh, decisions where, you know, five of the justices will will think the result should be X uh, and the explanation should be alpha and four concurring who say, yeah, I'm agree. I agree with you. Result X, but rationale beta, not alpha. Right. So uh, in terms of just brute outcome, I'm totally with you, but the explanation is really quite different. Um, that suggests they're having a, to me, that suggests they're having a disagreement that's at the lower level, like a level two. Right. And, and all these are important. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, that, that one is a more important kind of debate to have than another. So no, they're all happening. Level four is a very, is a very abstract level. It is not the most abstract. You know, we won't get into theories of law more generally, but it is, uh, it's the level of sophistication that I hope to take the students to in the first year, uh, so that's at the level of like, how do we interpret this provision about the freedom of speech? Do we go back and do we look at dictionaries about what freedom and speech meant in 1789? Uh, do we look at uh, more recent, uh, do, do we have to have a, a theory about what self-government is, Alexander Michael John, or is this about a marketplace of ideas? So we might have all kinds of theories about what it should be. And 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 all, a lot of these go back to what um, what gives 
the constitution in this case or a statute in another case, it's legitimacy. Mm. Right. And Scalia might have a theory about, um, uh, original democratic accountability, whereas Breyer may have a theory about acceptance by the populace now. Right. And so these are different reasons to give primacy over these questions, right. To original enacting legislature legislators, the lived experience of the law over time, or even judges right now, like, you know, cruel and unusual punishment. Right. What does that, what does that mean? Does it mean what we think it means now, or do we have to go back and look up cruel? And so all of these questions are really questions at, at level four, I think. Uh, but then they, once you reach a level four resolution, right, then you have to apply that reaching a level four resolution means that you've decided on your level three institution, which institution, right? Sure. And then that institution has to deploy reasons according to the count to reach a case outcome. Yeah. All right. That's so that's, that's what I generally do with, with students in the first year to read cases more deeply, to, to get an understanding of uh, a level of argumentation above well, I think that any idiot should know that coffee is hot. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I thought that'd be good to talk about now because I think, uh, you know, uh, a lot of lay people wonder, like, what do you do as a law professor? What do you do as a lawyer or, a, you know, or a, or a law student? What kinds of things do you learn? Are you just, like, memorizing code? Uh, no. Are you just practicing making rhetorical transformations? I mean, a lot of law yeah. is rhetorical. Like, it's, True. It's rhetorically transforming one kind of position into one which goes down more easily with a certain kind of audience. <laughs> but um, but that's not all that we do. And I think if people can kind of grasp that, uh, those levels of, of argumentation, they, you know, it begins to open up a world to other points of view about how we should govern ourselves. And ultimately, that's a good thing, right? To be able to see into the, to see how others approach the same question, to develop a kind of intellectual empathy where you can understand what it is you're really disagreeing about and how one could have this other view. Yeah. I think that's really important. The, the, um, cause what these, what these levels do is they get you to put more possibilities on the table. Exactly. And just the right. Your act of putting more possibilities on the table helps you. I mean, you could phrase it a few different ways. You could, you could say, you know, I'm sort of problematizing what I thought was straightforward Right. By raising other possibilities. I'm, I'm creating a, a, an opportunity to see that other people can, other reasonable people can reasonably have a different perspective on how to approach this issue. Right. Um, you can phrase it a few different ways, but I think what your, and your word empathy captures uh, it as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's really, really important. That, that to me, that's in, um, um, big way in which uh, the law at its best really is and uh uh the rule of law and law as a as a social practice really is um a a, a source of peace a source of un of understanding and peace yeah and i think if, if there's one not fighting because it's it, depicted as fighting but i think there's a because lawyers are agents of people who are already fighting right, right. And, and what the law right. is trying to do and but it can bring peace right and and, and when you when Simple cases are made to sound more complicated. That's not necessarily a lawyer's trick to waste social resources. No. It's a way of l trying, I think, to bridge gaps among reasonable people who are fighting for reasons that they each think are, are reasonable. Um, and, and that's a tough task. And they, and they may think they're reasonable because they are reasonable. 
Exactly. Yeah. So it's not People by denying different. their reasonableness that you make progress. Right. It's by actually wrestling with the fact that more than one perspective is reasonable. Now, ultimately, yeah. some decision is going to have to be made. But yeah. Oh, no. Joe, we got to stop. My wife is here. Cool. It's Valentine's Day. Oh, I got to get up and give her a kiss. You got to. You got to give her some of that loving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi. There we go. Wow. And that was no Darcy, my friends. Yeah. Romance on tape. There All we right. go. All right, Joe. So let's uh, let's sign off for today. All right. Hey, send in those emails. Rate the show. Yeah. Or tell your friends. Podcast, tell your friends. Uh, let's spread this thing around. At gmail.com. Let's spread this thing around. All right, Joe. See you later.